0: Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn.
1: Hello, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host and joining me, Aubrey, our co-host.
2: Hey, welcome back, everybody. We have a very powerful episode for you today. I cannot wait for you to hear it.
1: Oh, man. It is... I mean, you know, here's the thing. There are sometimes that you get into conversation with somebody and you just are like, "Wow, there is a depth here that only pain, unfortunately, only mm. walking through a valley can can bring yeah. out of somebody." And and Meg Apperson is one of those people. I mean, when you just sit and talk to yeah. her and I, as I as I listen to this over, right? As I'm like, because we we do this right aubrey we we prepare for these the to talk about this conversation. we're listening to yep. it over and, over and over and we're like what what kinds of nuggets can we pull out of this conversation and sometimes as i'm interviewing somebody i don't really I, i'm not able to to absorb everything they're saying cuz i'm trying to think about the next question and you know you, you know that's the case when it comes to interviewing someone on on your side of the seat as well but it's like yeah. Then you go back and listen. You're like, wow. And that's one. That is this conversation right here. It's unbelievable. Meg is a blogger, a homeschooling mom. Uh, before COVID, when everybody was homeschooling moms, she was in it. She was already, already homeschooling. And she's the <laughs> author of a book called "Sky Full of Stars" that released back in October of 2020. You definitely want to Love pick that up title. this book because it's about learning to surrender to God's perfect plans. I think sometimes we think. Our plans are perfect. We've got this thing mapped right. out. And Life Quickly reminds us that we are not in control. And that was that was Meg's story. It is Meg's story. You're going to hear some really great Really great commentary on this story.
2: And if you're encouraged by Meg's story or any other story that you hear on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, we would love for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That helps the podcast um, reach more people. That helps us to engage with you. And um, we love hearing from you. So go ahead and do that.
1: We also want to invite you to stick around after my conversation with Meg because Aubrey and I are going to share with you a little bit of our commentary. Some of the stuff that really stuck out to us and uh, the impressions that we had on our own heart how we apply it to our own lives, and how maybe you can apply it to your life as well. So stick around. Uh, Let's go ahead and listen to this conversation I have with Meg Apperson. Meg, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Well, I would love to hear just a little bit about... Um, kind of where you're at right now. What, what What's your family like? Where do you live? Uh, I know we're going to dive really deep into your story. Um, you've got a, a a heart-wrenching one, but also an, an incredible story. And I'm, I'm excited to dive into it a little bit deeper. I'm excited to, for the listener too. But before we do that, let's just hear a little bit about you currently as it stands.
0: Yeah, so my name is Meg Apperson. And we're chatting because I wrote a book that came out in October about my family about my journey, uh, married to my husband, Cody, and we have four kids age 12 and 6 and 5 and 2 and we are a homeschooling family. Um, my husband's in the military and I work in non-profit when I'm not writing books and home educating my kids. so We have a lot going on. But,
1: Wait a minute. Um, when you're yeah. not home educating your kids, you're doing all these other full-time jobs. How in the world? Yeah. We, we homeschool as well and, and that's the attention my wife is constantly managing right now. And we're homeschooling not because of COVID, just because that we chose to do that pre- Prior to COVID. She's yeah, like, how same. in the world do I, how does anybody do anything <laughs> other than homeschooling?
0: <laughs> yeah, um, it's hard. It's a lot. We're very busy. Wow. But.
1: Wow. That's awesome. Well, um, you guys, where do you guys live at?
0: We live in North Carolina. Okay. What part? Um, right outside Fort Bragg.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, because your husband's a military. That's right.
0: Yeah.
3: Awesome.
1: Yeah. So my parents live uh, on the Western side of North Carolina, up in the mountains, right outside of Asheville. Nice. Yep. So beautiful state, beautiful state. Beautiful yeah. state. Um, Meg, I would love to just kind of dive back into the beginning of your, of your journey. Uh, the, there's, there's so much that you guys have walked through and I know that, you know, a lot, a lot of different ups and downs, but if you could, if you could take us back to kind of where you would identify as the beginning of when God began to lead you on this weird, crazy valley of we think that life is supposed to be really up and to the right most of the time and you have learned in multiple situations that that's not necessarily the case that when you follow Jesus there's still pain and there's still suffering involved so talk to me about where this journey begins
0: yeah so back in I guess 2014 I had just had our second child a daughter and I had this feeling like a cloud was coming I had this sense Mm -hmm. that the Lord was telling me to buckle up and so there were some things that happened that year. I found out I was pregnant with a third baby kind of unexpectedly really close to my second daughter and and we were living just a really average, you know, I was homeschooling my oldest son and my husband was working and so we were just hanging out, everything was good. And so I had that feeling like, Oh no. And, um, when I was newly pregnant, I didn't realize I was pregnant with my daughter, Avery, who we will talk about a lot. Uh, I didn't realize I was pregnant with Avery and my appendix burst. And so I was in the hospital. And so all these things happened. And a few weeks after I'd had surgery, I found out I was pregnant. So I was thinking, well, that's the cloud, right? Is this, mm. is this kind of tumultuous pregnancy? Is this baby going to be okay? And, and that was not the cloud. So, mm. uh, you know, we, we kept going, I had this feeling the whole time I was pregnant, and, um, I really think it was the Holy Spirit telling me that something was wrong something was going to be seriously wrong and and all the doctors we met couldn't find a reason for that you know I had had surgery at the beginning of the pregnancy before we knew that there was going to be a baby and then um, toward the end of the pregnancy i I had a third trimester ultrasound which is a little unusual to have and I I could see that there was something wrong with the imaging I I could look at it and say, there's something wrong with this baby's head. What is it? And the technician was training because we were looking, I was having the ultrasound, but we were looking for something very benign. So she didn't need to be very well-versed in this ultrasound machinery to to tell me that something was wrong or wasn't. And so she didn't see anything and said, the radiologist will read it, just leave it alone. And I went to my next appointment and the radiologist had not read anything wrong. And so I said, I know something is wrong here. You have to do something. And so my midwife sent me to a specialist and we found out when I was seven months pregnant with Avery, my third baby, that she was going to be born with a devastating skull defect. And we didn't know how bad we knew that she might need a surgery or two and so that seemed still crazy cuz you know my other children i thought were um you know kind of typical children built br- built pretty ordinarily and so um the last two months of my pregnancy i just i just felt like the lord said here we are you know this this is it this is your cloud and and uh, avery was born and no one was prepared for the state that she- was she mm. was just severely, severely broken. Um, she was born with syndromic craniosynostosis, which is a defect of the skull, but it impacts all of the other structures surrounding it, so eyes and nose and airway, and in her case, also her heart and her kidneys. and And she's so unusual. She is like that kind of diagnosis is like is pretty unusual. But then Avery, we, we don't even know like her genetic makeup. We can't find what went wrong in her genes to cause this. So um, Avery is just really, really unusual. And um, so the doctors were kind of like, we have no idea what we're doing. Everything went black. You know, we were just, no one could tell us what kind of life Avery would have, what we were going to do next. And, and that was really the, the, I guess the point where I started to realize that I had made almost an idol out of motherhood and Mm. that my control over my children, my control over what I thought their future was going to be was just, was just shattered. I I realized that was an illusion. And so through this kind of awful, excruciating act of grace, you know, the Lord through Mm. this journey with Avery asked me to place that idol in his hands, you know, like can you trust me with your children? And for a time, I would have thought that I could say yes. But as the first 18 months or so of Avery's life were on, I realized that the answer was no, and it had to become yes mm-hmm. through, you know, surrender to whatever his plan was. So Avery just, I mean, surgery after surgery, really devastating complications. Um, She went into a coma, you know, the coma damaged her eyesight. It was just again and again, where I was sitting in a room while the life was draining out of her body saying, you know, she's not mine, Lord, she's yours. So however you heal her, even if that means, you know, she wakes up to meet you today, you know, I release her. I have no control here and I trust you to be good regardless of what happens. Wow. So then when Avery was five months old, uh, we found out that my oldest child needed heart surgery. So Um, on top of what was already going on with Avery, there was this other, you know, this, you know how people say lightning doesn't strike twice, but it did in this circumstance. And it was like, you know, we, we found it because Avery was in the hospital because my son had to go see a different specialist than he normally would have, it was just the way it was set up. I realized, um, it was clearly God's hand. You know, if Avery hadn't been born the way she was, and in these circumstances that had all lined up, we probably wouldn't have found my son's heart defect, which had already gotten to the point where he was in trouble and needed to have his heart operated on emergently. So really in that, that window of time, I just realized more because it it had been my theology before that the Lord was in control and that nothing happens outside of his providential hand. But I was seeing in a really fresh way that he was orchestrating all of this Mm. and, and just finally learned to fully say your will, not mine, whatever this looks like long-term, I believe that you're good and you only do good. And even if that means I lose everything and, You know, things aren't right on this side of heaven. Eventually, they will be in eternity.
1: Wow, I'm so glad you just used the term theology, because (laughs) I have just found three areas that I want to dig into a little bit more and and talk about how do you reconcile some of these things, but because they're the questions that we get asked quite a bit as well with the ministry that we do. And when I lost my Mm -hmm. my first wife, I. I felt like there was the the same thing that you described. This cloud. I always tell people I felt like God was preparing us for a season of pain. Mm. There were some things that, not knowing at the time, I mean, there was kind of a sense at the time, but you know, it it was it was. Are we? She was pregnant with our second when when she was killed, and and it was like, are we going to lose this baby? We we just had this sense that there was a a a, there was pain, a season of that coming for us. Um, But then after the fact, I saw different things that God. Had put in place, or words that people had spoken over me, or to me, or things that that now, in retrospect, looking back, it said, "I said, wow, okay, God was preparing me for uh, for her loss, and um, and yet that can be unnerving to think about a little bit." I was teaching a workshop a couple weeks ago at a church, and someone raised their hand and asked the question: "If if we know that God prepares us for these things, how do we not sit?" with anxiety, waiting for the next shoe to drop? Yeah. When we have some of these feelings or these senses of like what you said, this cloud, how does that not cause us to be anxious or fearful? What, what would you say if you were sitting there, you're teaching that workshop, this guy like raises his hand, asks you the same question. Cause I, I haven't heard a lot of people articulate the way that you did there about this cloud that you just, this foreboding feeling uh, what, what would you say? How do you reconcile that with the goodness of God still?
0: Yeah, so I think as Christians, we kind of build this memory bank of experience with God, right? Where where things happen and then he's faithful to us. Mm. And, and the longer we're Christians, you know, the more we've built up of experiences where you say, I see your miraculous hand in this, where even though it was horrendously painful, I can look back and see how that was preparation for something that was going to be the next part of my journey. And so yeah. I would say for me, you know, I know enough about the nature of God to know that there is going to be struggle that's going to come. Mm. As long as we're alive, there, there are going to be mountaintops, there are going to be valleys, and yet I know that God is good. I know that um, He never wastes pain. I know that He, you know, anytime you're in suffering, and even when you've made a poor choice, and you're walking out the consequences of that, which is not fun, you know, right. and it's not punishment in a sense. It's like this loving allowance of God to let you walk those things out. You know, he, he's, he's good. Yeah. And I guess you have to walk through enough really horrendous stuff that you think oh, this is just going to kill me. I can't keep going. Mm. And then once you get to the other side of it, you can look back and see where God was in, in all of those things. Mm. So for me, it's just, you know, I know scripture that that's the place where God's chosen to reveal himself. And I know I know what he says about himself. And I know my experience with him is that, is that he is trustworthy. Yeah. So mm. you, you can't anticipate those, those trials because they're going to come. And yet, right. you know, the Lord uses them, mm. you know, he makes all good, all things work for the good of those who love him. And, yeah. and that's where we can rest.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's where, where I love the words of Jesus, where he says, in this world, you will have sorrow.
3: Mm.
1: Right? And then he follows it up with, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And so
1: there's this reality that says, hey, no matter what, this is a fallen world. This is, we're, we are living in this, uh, under the curse of sin, mm-hmm. which means there's brokenness. There is fracturing. And so there's disease, there's crime, there's hatred, there's evil, there's all of these things that are mm. have have gripped every fabric, uh, every aspect of our society. Uh, and Jesus didn't try to convince us otherwise. Right. He said, "Hey, this is gonna this is gonna happen." But then he says, yeah. "But take heart, because I've overcome it. And when you follow after me, then you can you can also be overcomers." But but then I sit and think about you know a situation like what you walked through and you felt this feeling of preparation. And I, I talk with people all the time who they go one way or the other. They, because of this sense of like, man, God's God's in this. They either say, wow, this is amazing. God's in this. He's taking care of me. He's in the details. He's prepared this, or they choose to grow bitter toward God and say, well, if you were preparing for this, why didn't you prevent it? Mm. Yeah. Well, what what would you say? Did that feeling ever arise? You're like, wait, wait a minute. If you knew this was happening, why, why didn't you come in and prevent this from happening? Aren't you powerful enough? Aren't you sovereign enough to do this?
0: Right. So... For a time, Avery, because Avery has a trach, so she has a trach, she's fed through um, a a feeding tube for a time she had a ventilator. And so we spent a lot of time on a pediatric oncology and pulmonology floor. Mm. And oncology is, you know, pediatric cancer. So my my wife now is a a PA and she spent an entire
1: rotation in pediatric oncology. She would come home weeping. It At it will things.
0: change you, yeah. yeah. Like just being in a room near these people, you know, or like, you know, we would have a child next door or whatever it was, and um, you know, that was really the first time because mm. it was a level of devastation that I had not personally experienced. I mean, Avery yeah. was very sick and could have died, but it it was a different kind of suffering than than what I was seeing. You know, walk down the hall mm. in front of me pushing their IV full of poison. So, um, you know, I'm, I was sitting there and it was the first time I'd really wrestled with the God that I like with, with reconciling the God that I know who's Mm. good and merciful and kind with, with the God who sees this kind of suffering unless it happened. And, um, so I wrestled with that a little bit and I just felt the Lord say to me, um, you are not more merciful than I. Mm. And, you know, where what's mercy in our minds, what we think is the right way, you know, God, you should come in and take this, you you know, handle this in our human perspective. We think we know what mercy is Mm. and only God does because he has the perspective that, you know, that doesn't even have to take time and space into account, you know, so. It, it was that revelation of, oh, I think I'm merciful. And when pride meets those good qualities we have, we yeah. can feel self-righteous about like, God, why, you know, mercy is to come heal everyone yeah. to take this away and to fix this. Right. And, you know, sometimes mercy is
3: mm-hmm. in
0: the economy of God is not what we would like. Right. But who We don't get to say.
1: <laughs> that's so good. I mean, that that's, it speaks to like what God told Job. You know, mm. where Job has all of these leveling, all these different complaints, and and he was righteous. I mean, he he was justifiably leveling these complaints against right. God, according to our human perspective. Right? There was nobody as righteous as Job. I mean, even God was kind of like, "Hey, have you considered my servant Job? Like, he's really <laughs> he's he's an upstanding guy. You That's know, right. you're not going to make <laughs> him crack." And so, when God says that about you, you must be. But then, at the very end, God's like, "Hey, were you here when I..." hung the stars like Job your perspective on everything is so limited
3: yeah that's right and I love your point there it's
1: our perspective on mercy our perspective on Mm -hmm. justice our perspective on grace even is so limited to our experience which is tiny yeah Friends, I have some great news to share with you. One of my favorite interviews from 2020 was with Sheridan Voicey, who I had never met before our conversation together, but we had such a rich time diving into Sheridan's story and talking about his home in Oxford, England, that we knew we had to bring him back for a bonus episode. And in our podcast survey from a couple months ago, you also told us that you wanted him back. So we did just that. Sheridan is back as our bonus episode guest on our monthly partner platform to discuss three callings he believes we all have as followers of Christ. One, to follow God's example, two, as dearly loved children, and three, to walk in the way of Jesus. His inspiration comes from Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, and he does such a beautiful job of unpacking this passage for all of us, especially for those of us who are wrestling with calling or purpose in life. If you want to listen to this bonus episode or any of our other bonus content, head to nothingiswasted.com slash partners and sign up to make a recurring monthly tax-deductible donation of $20 a month or more. If you're hesitant about committing $20 a month, you can start a seven-day free trial to preview the bonus content we have under our monthly partner program. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Now, here's a little preview of my conversation with my friend and yours, Sheridan Voicey. Our ultimate fulfillment will actually be found in becoming christ-like as well mm. and i i think i've tasted
0: that when you know i've walked and and tried to pursue this in the grace of god and the power of the holy spirit and not trying to do it by yourself that really is what it's we're talking about here we're walking in the way of love that's actually the embodiment of all the virtues because if you love somebody compassion will come out kindness will come out mm. And also, you know, at times the, the tough call to maybe have that
2: difficult conversation with a friend to call them up to something different or be vulnerable so that they can have that conversation with you. But if that's the case, what's going to lead to greater
1: contentment? Is it going to be living a compassionate life or is it going to be living a disinterested life? You said this thing that also struck me about Avery, Your, you know, uh, Avery's, um, you know, d- genetic defect being grace in your life.
3: Mm, yeah. And you were talking about oh, this yeah. idea
1: of idols kind of being deconstructed. Can you unpack that a little bit more for me? Because that is really rich. I mean, I know, you know, God's ultimate aim in our lives is to strip us away from things that we would place our awe or our worship in other than him, because he knows that us, us doing that will deteriorate our soul. I mean, it's ultimately terrible mm-hmm. for us, but to recognize that like this circumstance was doing that in you and that this was a grace, man, you've oh, yeah. got to unpack that for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, on, on Avery's side, I wish I could go back and, and, take the suffering away for her. It kills me that she's suffered physically the way she has. Um, You know, it it feels unfair. And that's where I have to hold on to my theology of, of who God is and that he's in control. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, when I think about what I've learned about, um, you know, meeting Jesus in the valley the way you can't know him unless you're there, that intricate work that he does in our souls and, and fellowshipping with him and suffering it is only accomplished through whatever is the most amount of suffering to us, if that makes sense. Mm, so for me, yeah. well, what I identified hmm. with was motherhood. And, um, I had been married before as a teenager and, um, And, and so what I knew I didn't ever want to be without, because you could take a romantic relationship away, all these other things I'd lost before and I was fine, but motherhood was, was my thing, you know, Mm. just, um, Lord, I trust you. Don't, just don't mess with my kids. Just don't mess with my kids. You know, we're good other than that. And so, um, you know, the Lord asked me for what was most important and, you know, That was the only way that Mm. I could have reached the level of suffering that I needed to reach to, you know, that I needed to reach to say, I have nothing left. Mm. Jesus is all I have. And he's enough. If no one ever hears the story, if you take my children, whatever it is, knowing you better in, in suffering is worth it. Mm. And the change that happens when we get really close to God in in a way that you can't manufacture when everything is going well. Yeah. I hope that makes sense. Oh,
1: that makes perfect sense. um, I think it's in Colossians that Paul talks about how our suffering, uh, that that in our lives, when we walk through suffering, we are filling up the afflictions of Christ,
0: Mm. which
1: to me is like, wait, how in the world do we, fill up how is there any kind of lacking in the sufferings of christ you know what i mean i mean that (laughs) that was the ultimate suffering the cross i mean that Mm. i can't think of anything else taking on the sin of humanity of all of history on your Mm. own back i can't like what what greater suffering could there be and yet paul alludes to the fact that there is still more that needs to kind of fill that up that Mm. we play part in and uh John Piper talks about his pers- his kind of interpretation of that is that when we as Christians suffer well
3: mm-hmm. when
1: we enter into that kind of crucifixion with with Christ then the world sees Jesus because yes. in 2020 the world doesn't see Jesus they can't see him with flesh on they don't they didn't witness the cross they didn't witness that kind of suffering and so while we can hear about it or we can read about it or we can the the actual Manifestation of them seeing it and, and putting their trust in Jesus is when he sees Christians suffering. Well, mm. yeah, and 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 so that's good. to fill up the afflictions of Christ. And then of course he goes on to talk about how if we suffer with Christ, then we also are being raised with Christ as well. We can't experience mm. the resurrection without the suffering of it. And uh, and and that's in some ways that's what you're taught. This is a, this is a grace yeah. that God gives us. Suffering is a grace, yeah. which is a crazy perspective you know crazy not worldly yeah Yeah. it's not to see
0: it as a gift you know to say the the fruit that comes from suffering you know that the condensing of who you are and your faith and and the clarity on your life that happens when you're boiled down in that furnace of affliction really you just can't do that any other way and so you know the lord the Lord prepares us that way. And, and I think the degree to which you suffer and the degree to which you can suffer well is the same degree to which you can be used mightily in wow. the kingdom.
1: So. Wow. That's yeah. That's so good. So, um, you know, with this, and, and, and I also uh, in a second, I want to talk about kind of the, you know, what was going on with your older child as well and kind of what, what was happening there. But, just, just so that we all can get a get a picture of what life looks like for you guys because of Avery's um, birth defect. W- what does the everyday look like? I mean, what, how, how high or low functioning? You know, what's what's what does that look like from a on a daily basis for you guys?
0: Yeah. So it. It has changed a lot. So when Avery was little, she and I spent most of her first year in the children's hospital living there. And my, my husband and two older children lived an hour and a half away, you know, where, where we live now. And, and when we brought Avery home, we kind of accumulated these, these medical apparatus Mm. (laughs) slowly over time. So she had a feeding tube at first, and then she needed a trach and um, she was on a ventilator for two years. And so there was there was cognitive development, but there was very low gross motor, fine motor function for Avery for a long time. I think the first time she held her head up, she was almost a year old and she's five now, five and a half. And she is learning to walk. She does not walk well. She's still too fed. Um, She can eat a little bit. By mouth, but you know, we were before at a good deal of um, home health care nurses coming in to be with her because Avery couldn't be left mm. ever, even for a minute. You know, the trach made her um, audibly mute. So, mm. in order to keep her safe, she had to be on monitors all the time. Um, you know, we'd be there for the all the alarms, would go off on all our stuff, and um, so that took a, a few years of just non stop um soul crushing
3: yeah.
0: work. And yeah. so we had some nurses in to help with that, but that slowly phased out. And um, you know, night times would be the worst where you just sit mm. all night <laughs> by your bed, um, you know, watching these numbers change and and then to throw other things in the mix, you know, like surgeries and she'd have surgeries and come back and we would be, you know, these are the kind of surgeries where they, they cut her ear to ear and they take off her forehead and the back part of her skull. And back in September, they actually cut a portion of her brain off. They cut off her cerebellar tonsils, which were like right on her brainstem. So we're talking about just, you know, operations on a level that, are kind of mind blowing and and then helping her recover from that and so now Avery Avery can dress herself which is really exciting she can you know brush her own teeth and she's very quick she's she's a little hard to understand speech wise because yeah. her structure the structure of her face makes um speaking a little trickier but you know she is she's hilarious she is a joy she is incredibly empathetic she's She's a really miraculous human and she makes it, she knows that it's, it's hard. You know, there are unique things about her that, that we don't have to address in our other children. And and she really makes it as easy as possible. We do have a tiny bit of, of nursing care that still happens a few days a week um, overnight so that we're at least getting most sleep. Um, But that's, that's where we are now. We know we, we can't travel. Avery has, or if we do, it's, it's very limited and it's a whole production to go anywhere. And, um, you know, Avery can't go to a class at church. She doesn't go to school. She, you know, just because of her airway and that she's a little, a little more delicate than other children. Mm. We are mostly homebound and, you know, other than my husband and me, we don't have anyone else around us who could do her care. So it's very limiting. And, Um, yet I, I, I mean, I would change her pain. I would not change it Mm. for our family. Not at all.
1: Wow. Wow. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day. Uh, he and his wife lead a a group on our online platform for community groups and they lead for parents with, with, uh, special needs children. Mm -hmm. And so they have a special needs child, um, who has a rare birth defect. Uh, Her name's Hattie. And, uh, then just recently, his wife was diagnosed with leukemia. So they have been over no the past advice. few months just diving oh, into this goodness. entire, like she's been doing leukemia treatments. He's been flying back and forth from Florida to Houston on these, you know, cause they got her in the best hospital and they've got this you yeah. know, ch- child with special needs along with three or four other children. I think they have three other children, four total. Right. Oh, my goodness. And I I'm, he texted me that he's like, I would love to hear someone say what carries you through chaos in parenting, when it just feels like you're hanging on by a thread. And here I am sitting across the, <laughs> the airwaves <laughs> with you. I want to ask you that question. What carried you through that? Because I mean, I, know. I know what it's yeah. like the simple difficulties of having a baby that doesn't sleep at night, you know, and just the exhaustion that you feel and just the you're the, kind of feel like you're at the end of your rope. And I'm hearing you describe just seasons Yeah. You know, years years long of just being completely overwhelmed with exhaustion. What carries you through that?
0: So initially, just from a biological perspective, uh, adrenaline was a really, (laughs) was a really helpful. That's true. That's God's grace
1: right there too, isn't it? That (laughs) is.
0: It is. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. But eventually it runs out and what you're left with is, is for me, I realized that um, I like to handle things on my own. I like to feel like if I can be strong enough and push through and gut it out, then everything will be fine, you know? So I feel like I had a point personally, maybe two years in, I just hit a wall of the adrenaline had run out Mm. and it was like, okay the Lord yeah. <laughs> just brought me to this place where it was like just so you know you're not strong enough to carry yeah. this you may think that you can but your body is done and because of that you know your soul is done there mm-hmm. there's nothing to to draw from from a human perspective and so for me it was number one, honoring those feelings of overwhelm that I had spent two years trying to push behind me. Like, no, I, I got it. I can yeah. handle it. I don't, I'm not going to be overwhelmed. I'm going to do this in my own strength and honoring that at first and just feeling like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't have this Lord. You're going to have to, mm-hmm. you're going to have to take this. And, um, then for I mean, I wish I had like a really practical thing for you. I, I really just had to rest in um, the truth that the Lord just wanted me to be obedient, to just wake up each day and do what I could and not try to be a, a superhuman. Um, I, I pumped breast milk for Avery for 15 months. So on top of what we were doing, I was getting up the times when I could sleep, To to pump for her, which I had to stop doing. You know, anything that I could offload at that point was like, I've got to stop. I've got to, all the things that I'm doing to prove that I can be so strong and stoic had to go away. You know, so it looked like, you know, for a long time, like transitioning my exercise from, you know, I want to lift weights, I want to do high intensity, what can I do? And and just honoring my biology to say, I can't do anymore. I have to stop. I have to only do the basics of wake up, make sure everybody's fed, make sure everybody's clean, make sure everybody goes to bed alive. (laughs) And that's it. And, um, I feel like that's a really terrible answer. I wish I could give, uh, something fancier or more practical, but it was for me about honoring the feelings, saying, yeah. it's okay to be human. It's okay to say, I can't do anymore. I I am maxed out. Yeah. And then holding on to just the little bit of emotional strength that, Lord, you you don't need me to be superhuman. You just need me to be faithful. You just That's need it. me to be yeah. obedient. And sometimes obedient looks like not doing anything other than focusing on these three things in front of me.
3: Right.
1: So. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, it's what, what yeah. you just said. It's, one of one of the aspects it's a day at a time mm. you know god gives you grace for that day grace oh, yeah. for that moment like yeah. he's not going to give you it's like manna you know the, st- yep. the story of the israelites he's not going to give you manna for tomorrow or for the next or for the whole week he's going to give it to you for today gather it for today you've got it you can trust the lord that he's going to bring the tomorrow supply tomorrow and yeah. you know and then also to your point to acknowledge those feelings i think i think that's mm. so appropriate to acknowledge hey, I'm overwhelmed. I've met the end of my rope because yes. I think that's the place where then God's power can come in. And, yes. and it's in our weakness, in our admission of weakness
3: mm-hmm.
1: that God has made strong. There's that yeah. his strength can shine through right there. And so that's so, I think that's exactly what it is. We have something exciting to share today with you. Nothing is wasted family. We are hosting our first ever. Nothing is wasted give Okay. Because we've never done this before. We have so many amazing things planned for this give that you will not want to miss it. Mark your calendars for Thursday, May 6th from 8 30 to 9 30 PM Eastern on my Facebook page, we're going live. Aubrey's gonna co-host the Give-A-Thon with me, and we will be joined by some very special guests, like some of our Nothing Is Wasted headquarter team, community group leaders, certified guides, and more. This givea-thon will give you an opportunity to partner with our ministry financially as we reflect on what God has done over the last few years and look forward to where God is moving our organization this year and beyond. You'll have a chance to make a one-time or recurring gift to the ministry. Become a monthly partner, donate to scholarships for the pain-to-purpose course and coaching, be able to sponsor a podcast episode or a bundle of podcast episodes, or make a larger donation to sponsor our podcast studio for a year. We will have giveaway opportunities for everyone who tunes in and more fun surprises up our sleeve, so you won't want to miss this first ever Nothing Is Wasted give Again, we will be live on my Facebook page, Davey Blackburn, from 8 thirty to nine thirty p m Eastern time on Thursday May six we can't wait to see you there. Meg, I was struck by something you said going back to when you know your oldest child was in the hospital as well, and you you alluded to the fact that you guys would not have caught this heart defect had you've not been in the journey with Avery. Um, and I think that's a really unique perspective too, to identify. Is that some, something you saw in the moment where you're like, oh my gosh, or is that something later now reflecting on yeah. it? You're like, oh, I see where God's hand was in it. What, what?
0: Oh, immediately. So my, we were homeschooling and I, once Avery was born, we were in it for a few months and I realized that there was no way I could educate him and live somewhere else. Mm. So, I I had to enroll him in school. We sent him to private school for I think he was in there for two or three years, and he had to get a physical. And I had already taken him for a physical before Avery had gotten really sick. She ended up in a coma. Her shunt had failed, which is something implanted in her in her brain, and um, it had it had failed really acutely, you know, very quickly and dramatically. And so I had taken him to a physical, but he still needed one other. Part to it. And so I was planning on canceling this appointment because I didn't need it. And because I, I would have taken him to a different clinic, mm-hmm. um, because of our insurance, it's, it's a little complicated, yeah. but, um, so my husband, I told my husband, you know, I'm so sorry that you'll have to take him because I was in the hospital with Avery and, and it was the sickest she'd ever been. I just could not imagine that anything else, you know, what could be worse than, than, you know having a baby in a bed next to you who's who's still in a coma. So um, I said, you should just cancel this. We have a lot going on. You know, he already got the physical that he needed for school. And so we don't need anything else. And he said, no, I think I'm just going to take him, which is not like my husband. He would usually, he would have been like, yeah, sure. Let's cancel this. Why would I take him to the doctor? And and, um, he just had the sense like, no, I'm going to take him for this completely unnecessary second appointment. And, we, we took him and I don't, I mean, my child has been, you know, he's, he's been to every well check ever Mm. and no one had ever heard this murmur. And so my husband took him to the appointment. They heard the murmur for the first time with a practitioner who wasn't even our practitioner. I mean, it was so random that he would go on that day and be heard by this person. And, and my husband said, you know, Listen, he called me and said, "Are you sitting down?" I'm like, "Of course I'm sitting down." But don't mess with me. Like now is not the time yeah. to joke around about this. And he said they heard a murmur, and then they checked his blood pressure, and I think at this time he was six, and um, his blood pressure was like 130 over 80. You know, wow. for a, a six-year-old, and so they knew something was up, and and they thought it was again something very minor. You know, and they're like it's a patch job. He's just got a little hole in his heart. It's fine. You know, just a little hole in his heart. So. Um, I I came home with Avery a few weeks later and and took him to the cardiologist, and it was it it was actually a coarctation. So his aorta had narrowed in a section, and because of that, everything on this left side of his heart was dilating, and everything on the right side was getting less um, blood flow, and all the organs from the aorta down, because you know the aorta feeds everything else. So all those other organs were were getting less blood flow. He was growing collateral veins, all kinds of things, and um, the doctor had said. It's it's so crazy that we caught this. You know, a few more years, and you would not have known. All of a sudden, you know, he could have been on the soccer field and just dropped. Wow. And if we had been homeschooling him, there would have, you know, if Avery hadn't been born, if I were still doing everything I was doing, he would have just been home. He wouldn't have needed that extra school right. physical. And so, it was in that moment, and I'd seen him, you know, work miracles that I couldn't have orchestrated for Avery to save her life or, or whatever. And So in that moment, it was like, oh my goodness, you know, Avery is here, Mm. not just for Avery because you're going to do miraculous things with Avery and you've, you know, Lord, you've impacted my life and my husband's life, but now you've used Avery to save my other child's life. You know, we, we are not in control. We don't orchestrate this. And even the devastating things that look just plain devastating at the time still have ramifications that the Lord uses for good later even if we don't ever see them, yeah. you know, we we will never see all of the seeds that are planted by other people watching us walk through what we walk through. Wow.
1: Wow. What's, what's the continuation of the journey for your oldest son? Um, how has that kind of begun to flesh out?
0: So he had surgery that, you know, when we found it, they had surgery to, to actually just dissect that part of his aorta. So they just cut it out and, you know, sewed the other ends together. And so that looks like watching every year to see if that narrows again. Yeah. And then, um, he, because of everything that happened, his aortic valve had, had kind of changed and become leaky. So that's another thing we're watching. Wow. And then when a child has, has a history of coarctation of the aorta, they're at greater risk for aneurysms. So mm-hmm. that usually shows up in the teen years. So for him, it just looks like going every year to make sure his his blood pressure is good in all four points, you know, both yep. arms and both legs, and then, um, you know, yearly scans of his head when he is a teenager. He's wow. twelve now, so we are just now oh, wow. getting into that.
3: Yeah.
1: So it's been several years since you guys first caught this.
0: Yep, yeah. six years. Nope. A- five years. I lied. Five years. Sorry.
1: Wow. There was, uh, you know, I was reading something in in your bio about this defining moment where. You had two children at one point in, in ICU units. I mean, what mm-hmm. is that?
0: It was the same year when Avery was born and in the hospital. Uh, she came out of the hospital and we took my son to the cardiologist. And the next month he was in the ICU, wow. you know,
3: connected to life support. Wow. So and there, it, was, it was. And they lot. were
1: both at the same time. I mean, in separate units at the same time. I mean, that's just got to be a. That right there, I, I can only imagine. I mean, you can explain that. What what was that like sitting there in the hospital at one point realizing, I've got two children, completely unrelated circumstances, yeah. and yet both in the same position?
0: Both on life support, yeah. So for Avery, I had only known her that way. Yeah. And so to me, that was like who Avery was. and yeah. And so to see her you know, be sick, not that it ever became fine or like it was normal, but, but that's how she was in my mind. And so to, to walk in the first time they let me see my son after surgery to see him on a ventilator, you know, connected to life support was really jarring Mm -hmm. because this was a child who, you know, a week before was running around playing soccer in the backyard. And so that was, that was traumatic in a way that I had not been prepared for because, you know, I, I had been on this journey with Avery. And so I thought it would be fine. I thought that I could just handle walking in and seeing him, you know, lifeless like that. And so it was, it was terribly traumatic. I I don't know how else to describe it. He, um, within a few minutes of them extubating, or maybe it was before they extubated him. So they kept him in a coma for like a day and a half just to let, you know, those, his aorta heal. And, um, at one point his, his pressures dropped out, you know, I'm watching his systolic go down to 40 and 30 and they're running around the room and, and I had seen them do this with Avery, but it, it was, it was really surreal to watch it in a room with my oldest child, childhood. Yeah. I, I'd only ever known to be healthy and fine. And so lots of healing around, around all of it, but yeah. specifically that one, because I, I just wasn't prepared for it when it happened.
1: Right. Right. You know, man, a couple of things that, you know, we've discussed some like theological issues you, you've grappled through some of that stuff and reconciling yeah. the character and nature of God with your circumstances. And, you know, we all have those journeys where we have to come to face to face with what we, what we once thought about God or what we believed about him and, and now who he's revealing himself to be truly. Um But I'm, I'm really curious as to maybe, you know, it's not often that I talk to somebody about the, the, the theology behind it. I love it because I'm a pastor. I grew up in, as a pastor's kid. And so yeah. that was, for me, a, a lot of the reckoning that had to happen um, in, in my tragedy. And so um, were there some building blocks for you prior to all of this? Uh, what were some things that you saw that maybe shaped your foundation growing up that yeah. helped to prepare you for this life that you're living right now? as you look back and you're like oh wow this was a building block this was foundational this was this really set and firmed up my you know uh my relationship with the lord my identity in christ up that has prepared me for this moment can you think of a few things
0: yeah so um i my dad is a pastor still so okay. i was raised as a pastor's kid and so something that my parents did which is probably not unique to them but um they really just drilled into us that we were born on purpose, for a purpose, mm. that anything that we would face, and um, this is not to say I did not wrestle with my faith. I did pretty right. dramatically right. as a 20-year-old, as a I guess. Um, but, but I had that foundation of what they'd taught me and this idea that I was meant for something. And so when I came to the place where I was ready to say, Yes, I I believe in God on my own accord, not piggybacking off what my parents believed. But um, when I was ready to do that, I I could really buy into this idea that whatever crossed my path mm. going forward was going to be part of God's plan, was going to be brought by providence. You know yeah. that in the economy of God, anything that happens here can build toward what my calling is. And yeah. so there was that. And then you know. As far as specific things, I would say I have a a bit of a tumultuous history with um, like sexual assault and abuse Mm -hmm. as a child. So once Avery was born, I had to confront in ways that I hadn't because I had gone to counseling for years, um, just the idea of, of advocating Mm -hmm. for Avery, advocating for myself in ways that I hadn't done when I was younger. And I could see when I reached that point with Avery, where I had to stand up for her and advocate and, and be pushier than I would have liked to be. Um, I saw where in my past I had enabled people or, um, you know, stayed quiet in the face of, of really some unjust and, and demonic things. Um, where I had kept my mouth shut to protect other people. Once I was in that position with Avery advocating for her, I could look back on that and see this is what happens. This is the fruit of of trying to protect other people's feelings and doing that by not saying what's true. And so that was probably the biggest thing that going into my journey with Avery, I realized how dangerous it was to try to go with the flow, to keep from rocking the boat, to prioritize other people's perspectives and feelings over what was just Basic right.
3: truth. Right.
1: I'm. I'm terribly sorry for what you have walked through and what you walked through as a child, but I'm seeing, you know, even as you're, even as you're explaining your story and stuff, how your parents' words of being born with a purpose, you're here yeah. for a purpose, that that's being played out in your life right now, and God's used some of these circumstances that you've walked through to help you, um, formulate what that purpose is. Can, Mm -hmm. can you kind of talk to us about what that looks like now? You're doing a lot to, to advocate for children, especially what, what does that look like? You know, um, in terms of what what specifically are are the kinds of things that you're, you're participating in?
3: Yeah.
0: So, um, the way that translates to how I mother is very specific, you know, in, in training children to believe in that same purpose for them Mm -hmm. on Avery's side, there has been a lot of, um, advocating just because she's so unusual and, and maybe going up against people who know a lot more than I do and have been to school for a lot longer than I have. And, um, yet, yet maybe don't know Avery as well. And then um, what I do for my job beyond writing this book and writing on a blog just to tell people about the goodness of God in relation to the things we were going through is um, now I work in nonprofit for um, something called The Rescue Project, which mm. helps to rescue children from from radical agenda right. overseas and, and wow. um, placing them in, in families after they have had their lives stolen from them, you know, we wow. place them in, in families within their culture who can care for them, you know, after they've been rescued from, you know, sex trafficking mm. or all kinds of things. So it, it really translated into realizing that what I wanted to do for the rest of my life was use my voice yeah. where I felt like I hadn't used it, where I know I hadn't used it as a child, um, using my voice for Avery, using my voice for my children, other medically fragile children, and then vulnerable and exploited children all over the world.
3: Wow.
1: It's amazing when you look at, I mean, just the beauty of how God writes stories in people's lives and, Mm -hmm. you know, even beauty and the hardship and the adversity that you face and the suffering and the tragedy that you walk into. And yet you can see the beautiful work that God's invited you into that you would have never participated in, you know, this work against injustice that's happening all over the world. You would have never participated in had your life gone gone you know, smooth.
3: Yeah, you're exactly right. And,
1: uh, and I think that that too is a grace because there's something so powerful that happens when we, when we, uh, accept and respond to that invitation that mm-hmm. there's something wonderful and beautiful and healing that happens inside of us. And then we become a conduit that to that, you know, for other people. And, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for the the work that you're doing. And, uh, I want to make sure everybody knows about S- sky full of stars. Uh, subtitle is learning to surrender to God's perfect plans. I'll tell you, when I read that subtitle, it resonated with me quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. That even the plans that look like to us is uh, something that is just what, what 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 good could this be? Could anything good come out of this? Mm-hmm. And and God has a perfect plan for all of it. Nothing is wasted. And, you know, so Meg, I'm so glad that you're carrying this and this message. And I'm so glad that uh, you've written this book and I want to make sure all the listeners of this episode go and and pick up a copy of that book. Yeah. Where can we follow you? Where can we find out more about what you're doing and just kind of follow along on your journey?
0: Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm Meg underscore Apperson, and that's kind of where I share our day-to-day stuff, you know, videos of Avery. Mm -hmm. You, you just can't help but fall in love with Avery. Yeah she she has all the fans. <laughs> no one is there for me. They're there for Avery.
3: Um,
0: I try to never be on Facebook if I can help it. Uh, I have a blog for oh. And then uh, the, the nonprofit work I do is for the Rescue Project on Facebook or Orphan Rescue Project on Instagram.
1: Awesome. Well, Meg, thanks so much for spending some time with us and sharing your story. And I'm um, just speaking, you know, vulnerably from your heart. We just appreciate it so much.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, that was an absolutely incredible conversation yeah. that you had with Meg, Davey. I appreciate her wisdom yeah. and the fact that now she's taken her story to get to the the purpose, right? Now she's right. she's moved from pain to purpose, which is something we talk about here all the time at that nothing right. is wasted. Now she's advocating for kids because of what she walked through. What an incredible example.
1: Yeah, I, th- I thought it was very insightful of her too. And I, It was pretty early on in the conversation that she noted that this whole experience had brought out some idolatry in her own heart. Yeah. And this one of the things we do talk about in the pain to purpose course. And one of the waypoints, we talk about how every time you walk through a valley, there is always, if you kind of lean in and you start to ask God, God, what are you teaching me in this? You know, if you can kind of get above the storm, so to speak, above the waves, yeah. just a little bit enough to go, God, what are you teaching me? A lot of times what God is teaching us or what he's revealing to us are idols that are in our own hearts. And so true. idols are not, you know, I mean, it's not like, oh, okay, you've got this like graven image, this statue that you're bowing down to. That's not right. when we think idols, especially when we think about it from an Old Testament context, that's what we tend to think. So we're like, well, we don't have idols yeah. in our life, but the reality is, is we do. We have very subtle idols. I would say that we are probably more polytheistic than what we give ourselves credit for because um, idols are anything that we turn to, to cope to manage yep. stress, to find relief yep. that we rely on, yep. that we become dependent on. And um, yep. I think one of the biggest dangers for us as followers of Jesus, especially in Western American culture, is that the enemy is totally fine with us walking through life, going to church, reading our Bible, praying, and doing all the things you know that Christians quote-unquote do, and all the while hanging on to all of the idols, so to speak, in our life, because those are really the places that we turn to.
2: And it's interesting, too, that we don't, you know, I I feel like idols, you think negative, right? Like your mind kind of goes to, I don't know, drugs or drinking or uh, sex or, you know, money, power. Like you kind of think of the obvious idols. But when you do begin to ask yourself that question, what you just said, Davey, what am I relying on? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it can be anything. It can be shopping. It can be Netflix. Right. It can right. be, what is that thing that if I, what is the thing that I do privately,
3: Yeah.
2: right? Or what is that thing that if I lost it, I would feel like my life fell apart? That could be the mm. internet. That could be your phone. You know, right. there's there's so many things that we turn into idols. And I think you're exactly right that God is, God has been about the business of removing idols.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um, well, but
2: we can walk so unaware that we yeah. have idolatry in our lives.
1: Absolutely. And I think in Meg's case, right, she, she talked about how idolatry was really something that was revealed or exposed through identity. Mm. You know, She talked about how she was building her identity in parenthood, and motherhood. Yeah. And yeah. she didn't realize that even. I mean, it was so subtle. She didn't realize it until all of a sudden she was in a circumstance where she was completely out of control, where she could mm. not, as the mom fix something or change something or, you know, and so that reveal, but here's, I'm just so impressed with her awareness, her spiritual maturity to step back and go, wow, that was an idol that was revealed in in my own heart. And I, and I want to encourage everybody who's listening to this, that every single situation that we're going through, that is difficult. If we really step back, we can begin to see the idols that that circumstances is exposing in our own, in our own life.
2: I do think it's interesting that Meg did identify that idol of of mothering or parenthood, mm. because I, I would say in general, in culture, not even just Christian culture, but in American culture, there is kind of a a parenthood idolatry, right? Where we feel mm. like once we have kids, then we've sort of arrived at whatever this elusive standard we're supposed uh, to yeah. have arrived at is, yeah. right? Or once we have those kids, then we want to – it's almost like parenting has become this little, like, subculture where we want to post the right pictures mm-hmm. and we want to do the right crafts and we want to – I don't know. It yep. The, the – the culture of parenting has become an idol. And yeah. so I did. I do appreciate that she identified that. And I'm very excited that later on this year, we're actually going to do a parenting series That's right. yeah. um, through Nothing is Wasted, partly because we heard from you listeners, we heard um, that through request. the survey results that you want to hear more about parenting, right. you want to hear more about moms and dads and kids. Um, but also we we do want to give you resources, yeah. how mm-hmm. in your parenting you can take back your story. Right. If you're struggling, you can take back your story. If 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 you're, if you've made parenting an idol, you can take back your story or if God has done something um, beautiful in parenting, you can celebrate him because of that.
1: Yeah. One of the things I love about um, Meg and in my conversation with her is uh, just the fact that she already has begun to take back her story, but it was, it was, it's in an unconventional way. If I were sitting down having a conversation with her and I was thinking, okay, one plus two equals three in her story. She you know, uh, had a, a child who was suffering with a, a birth defect. And so yeah. because of that, she's going to help moms who have children with birth defects. Right? That's typically right. how I would think, oh, wow, that's how she's partnering with God to take back her story. That would be the natural progression of that. But I think mm-hmm. it's really interesting that as I was talking to her, she said, what this caused to rise up inside of me is that I, was, I realized I had not been advocating for myself in certain situations. Remember, she alluded to this, um, yep. you know, this horrible uh, situation that she went through as a child. So she had not advocated yep. for herself as a child. And then God used this circumstance to help to, to birth inside of her this passion for advocating for children. And now that's what she's turning into. So I just saw these breadcrumbs, like these building blocks in her life. Mm. And this is what God does in our life.
2: yes. This is only a story God yes. can write.
1: And 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 so it takes, again, some introspection, some awareness to step back and not yeah. just think, okay, one plus two equals three, and this is how I'm yes. going to turn my story around or how I'm going to like... Find purpose in it. It's like, no. What is God? What experiences do I have in my past? What giftings do I have? What passions? Yeah. What you know, unique? Yeah. What valleys have I gone through? And then, as you start to yeah. walk through and wade through some of that stuff, you begin to put the pieces together, and God reveals this. Hey, here's this purpose or this assignment I have next for you. And that's what we talk about in the Pain to Purpose course. We literally walk through some of these stages of your past and stages of your life that God is using as building blocks. I think we say something like that God uses your past as the raw material for your redemptive future.
2: Oh, so good. And that's so true. Yes,
1: yes. And so this is what we want for you as the listener too, is you're trying to discover this. So if you're trying to figure out, where do I get started? How do I do what Meg has done in the midst of my pain, mm-hmm. we want you to head over to nothingiswasted.com and you can check out some of the different ways that we would like to help you get started. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's you wanna go through the Pain to Purpose course or maybe you wanna jump into our community group platform or, or maybe you wanna hire a certified guide. We've got a lot of different ways that you can get started on this journey to partner with God to take back your story. Again, nothingiswasted.com.
2: There's another thing we actually wanna invite you to do. I'm gonna transition a little bit here, yeah, Davey, okay. but... Our 4th birthday is coming up.
1: That's right. The Nothing is
2: Wasted podcast is having a birthday, which is really really Happy exciting. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. I love birthdays so much.
1: <laughs> Can we do like birthday week, birthday month? We'll just we'll just do it all. Birthday like, year. All yeah, we'll just yeah. keep on celebrating it.
2: I think that's the way to go. But it is our first Fourth birthday, and we actually have a special birthday episode coming up soon where we want to hear from you. We've decided that this is going to be an episode of Q&A with Davey, with Christy, with myself. Mm -hmm. So we would love to invite you to call in. Here's the number. Grab a pen and a paper or the notes on your phone. It is 317-983-1090. I'm going to say that one more time. 317-983-1090 and when you call in we would love for you to say your name say where you're from and ask your question and then if we choose your question you're going to hear yourself on the podcast as we try to answer it.
1: Yeah, it's going to be awesome so make sure you do that and uh, we also want to just thank uh, folks who have been a part of this podcast we want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Go and listen to his music anywhere you can stream and download music. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we would love to engage with you there. We've got a lot of stuff going on. So you can follow us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. You can follow me at Davey Blackburn. You can follow Aubrey at Samp A-U-B-S-A-M-P. And next week, we have a conversation uh, with this wonderful woman, with this crazy tragic and hopeful and, I mean, heartbreaking. And I mean, it's a story of resilience, that's for sure. And so if you feel like you're lacking in faith and in resilience and stick-to-itiveness, you're going to want to listen to our conversation with Kendra Clark next week. Why don't we go ahead and listen to a clip from that right now?
3: In 2010, my mother... Committed suicide, and this was something that was um, it was it was a shock to me. Obviously, I mean, it was one of those situations where I knew that my mother had some issues with mental health. We won't go into it in detail, but bottom line is, she decided to take her life in 2010. And at that time, shortly after my mother committed suicide, we were living in Utah, and we decided to move to Scottsdale, Arizona. And so we moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, to be closer to one of my best friends that I've had for about 30 years at the time. And my husband at the time was also transferred with his job. So it really seemed like a nice way to kind of start fresh. So we moved here to Arizona. And shortly after we moved here, must have been probably two or three months, my husband at the time, after about 22 years of marriage, decided to take a different path in life. And he decided that his path was not going to be with our family.